Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. Uh, just glad to have you here joining us in worship. Every Sunday, I feel like, you know, since we planted this church, I'm like, can't believe people keep coming back sometimes. It's awesome. It's really just a joy to, to, to worship with you every single Sunday, um, to have the, the peace of God, the fellowship of Jesus, kind of as we gather together to seek him out and, and grow more like him and learn, uh, learn from him and just have the sort of joy that comes from gathering with one another on Sundays. It's such a gift to me, and I want to, yeah, thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll hop into our sermon today. Lord, be with us this, this morning as we talk about your spirit and what it looks like in this series that we've been discussing for you to, to be in our midst through your spirit, to guide us, to lead us, to equip us, to comfort us, to give us joy and peace and knowledge so that we may be, be led uh, to, to follow and be more and more like your son, that you would do that this morning, God. We, we pray. There's no reason for us to gather. There's no reason for us to be here this morning if your spirit's not in it with us. So, Lord, we pray that you would, you would please be with us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so like I alluded to in the prayer, and as you can see behind me here on, on the screen, we are, are doing a series, and we're actually wrapping it up. Today's our last day, where we're talking about uh, walking by the Spirit. And we take that from uh, 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 a verse in Galatians 5, a phrase that Paul uses, a kind of an image for what it looks like for us to have, I think what we would call today, a Christian spirituality, and we've been really digging into what that looks like for us to have a, a spirituality that is modeled after Jesus and that follows after him and is inspired by, by God's Holy Spirit. And, and so we've been trying to dig into that in a bunch of different uh, ways throughout this series. Um, we're wrapping it up today, and as we do, I want you to reflect just on the imagery of, of walking by the Spirit. Um, it, it's kind of a phrase that, you know, we don't think much about maybe, uh, but just think about walking. Think about what walking looks like. It's a slow, kind of methodical process, and it's very ordinary, and it's very familiar. It's something that we do every single day, you know, many, maybe you track your steps, so I don't know, you do it 10,000 times a day or something like that, um, but it's a very normal thing that we do, but mostly we do it for leisure, have you thought about this? Walking is something we only do just kind of when, you know, uh, maybe we want to do it for fun or to get from our couch to our fridge or something like that, right? Um, if we want to go somewhere for a long distance, we hop in a car, we ride a bike, we get on a plane, and we're used to that, you know, being a really quick trip, and we don't actually have to walk and go through that sort of slow, methodical process. But for someone like Paul... Right? And someone who lived in the ancient world, to use this metaphor to talk about spirituality, I think is really important, especially as we kind of think through what walking meant for someone like him. For, for someone like Paul, walking is what you did to get everywhere, including long distances. To get to important places, you would often walk. If you think about Paul's life, and you just think about the vast distances that he traveled, as he does a lot of these like mission trips and stuff that we read about in the book of Acts, you know, he's taking a boat for some of that, but he's actually doing a lot of that just by walking, right? And in Acts, man, you can read that in, a, in a one sitting, but that is a long stretch of time that he's taking to kind of walk from one place to another. You, know, you can think of distances like, you know, walking from here to Chicago, right? That's the kind of distances we're talking about that he's traveling in a lot of these spaces, right? And so I actually think that says 
quite a bit about what Christian spirituality looks like, that he uses the uh, metaphor or, or word picture of walking to describe it. Paul knew that walking is this process of picking a foot up and putting it down again over and over and over again consistently, heading in a direction that we want to get to, even if it's really far. Right? That's something you've baked in. You understand that. You're comfortable with the even pace and the repetition, knowing that it's worth it. I think that's what the path of discipleship looks like for us, and that's something we walk by the Spirit. That's why this is such an important metaphor for Paul. Now, there's a lot of different ways that I think we walk by the Spirit. We've been trying to pick up on some of those in this series, and, and we talk about it all the, all, all the time in other places, too, here as a church. I mean, coming to church on Sunday is, I think, one way that we walk by the Spirit, worshiping God, spending time together, taking communion. Um, but a really important way that we do it is through reading Scripture and having it taught to us, so, soaking ourselves in Scripture is one way that we take that consistent path of walking by the Spirit. Right? And it becomes, I think, so normal to us that we can really do it a lot of times without understanding the significance of what's happening. Right? And, and a lot of it in reality is going on beneath the surface. Okay? But it's fundamental that we understand that wa- walking by the Spirit includes uh, engaging ourselves well with Scripture, the thing that God has given us. And I want to talk about that today as we close this series of Walking by the Spirit and talking about uh, what it looks like for us to uh, soak ourselves up uh, with the Spirit in Scripture, to kind of view, you know, reading Scripture, studying Scripture, growing by understanding Scripture as a fundamental way that we are walking by the Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that today, right? We take leaps and bursts sometimes in our faith, right? There are times where you will not walk somewhere. You might get in a plane and jump somewhere really quickly in your spirituality, in your growth, in following Jesus. But most of the time, it is a really slow, I think, and methodical process where we are being built up. We are being made like Christ. We are given joy and peace and hope and comfort. We are refreshed through the regular practice of interacting with Scripture. And so today I want to talk about how we can cultivate sensitivity to the Spirit when we engage with our Bibles. All right, so what we're going to do today is I kind of got three chunks that the sermon is going to go in. First of all, I want to explain how Scripture is connected to God's Spirit. Then I want to talk about how it, as something that is alive by God's Spirit, can kind of coach us to grow more like Jesus. And then finally, I want to talk about how the spiritual manifestation or gift, that what we talked about in our sermon last week of teaching, can help us to go even deeper into that. All right, and um, today we're going to be doing uh, some question and response. This is something we like to kind of pull out as a church uh, every once in a while um, and give you a chance to kind of throw some questions at, at the person preaching and give me a chance, maybe not to answer it, but to respond in some way to it. And so if you'd like to do that, you can go to our website, www.rezcitychurch.org. Who says www anymore in front of things? Um, rezcitychurch.org. And you can scroll down and you can find a place to submit some questions. Um, and we'll only get to a few of them today. Uh, and that's, that's actually by design. I actually don't want you to s- just to send questions about uh, the sermon today. I'd love for you to send any questions you have about anything that we've talked about in this series. All right, so you c- if you've been here, if you've heard other sermons in the series, you can kind of think back to those different things, talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to record a podcast this week, me and a few other people from the church, just kind of trying to get through all of those, just have some conversation and discussion around them, and then we'll throw it in our uh, normal podcast feed 
uh, where you can get our sermons each week uh, at some point later this week, hope maybe a little bit later on um, during the week. So, all right, so let's get into it. When it comes to Scripture, uh, there's an idea among Christians, and in the actual pages of Scripture, when we open it up, that there is, there is a sort of life that is at work, kind of behind the words, actually. It's not just a dead holy book filled with, you know, wise words that some people said a long time ago. It, it's more than that. And, and there's a, a, a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright, and he uses an analogy uh, to describe this that I find really helpful. He's recounting a book that he once read about an American professor and his wife, and they went to live in Oxford for a year, um, and he was like a visiting academic there. And so, you know, this professor and his wife, they're kind of walking around Oxford, and I've never been to Oxford, um, but uh, apparently there's like a large section of it that's like very, very old. And so it's like, you know, ancient ruins kind of feeling. And so they're walking through this kind of part of it, and they just thought, well, no one lives here anymore. But the wife spotted in one of the windows some curtains and like a lamp. And she kind of yelled out to her husband, honey, these ruins are inhabited. And it actually kind of beca- it became the title of, of their book about their time spent in England. And he goes, so N.T. Wright goes on to connect this story and this idea of these ruins being inhabited to what we find in Scripture. And here's what he says. Many people who open the Bible have an experience rather like the woman in Oxford. To begin with, it looks like a jumble of old bits and pieces of writing, a ragbag of poetry, history, folktales, ethical instruction, and some strange stories about some even stranger people. Reading it can seem, at least to begin with, like wandering through old courtyards where somebody once lived but a long time ago. But then, just when you're tempted to put the whole thing aside, as interesting perhaps, but not really relevant, you sense movement and life. Something is stirring there. There's an energy as though someone's left a light on or music is playing in the old building. Maybe it's inhabited after all. It seems to have a life, a breath even. I just think that's such a good picture uh, for, for what we find when we come to Scripture, right? Because this is so much older than any of us sitting here, right? But there is this sense, and, and Christians have been experiencing this, and other people as they come to the Bible have been experiencing this for centuries, that there is this life behind the words, that what many people might think of as these runes of an ancient book are actually inhabited, that there is a breath of life stirring in the pages of Scripture when we read through it. And where does that idea come from? Where does he get that idea? Well, I actually think it, it comes from uh, a ser- the, the very first sermon that we did in this series. We kind of talked about what is God's Spirit? How do we understand what it is uh, when we talk about God's Spirit in, in the sense of how the Bible talks about it? And um, the Hebrew word for Spirit, if you remember, if you heard this series, the, the word ruach, it literally means breath or wind. Okay, that's what the, the idea of the Spirit is in Scripture, is God's breath or wind that is rustling through us, kind of blowing life into us. And that imagery shows up all over Scripture, and Paul actually uses that language in 2 Timothy 3 to describe Scripture itself. So he has, says here in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, some translations say all Scripture is inspired by God. If you have a Bible in front of you right now, maybe that's what it says. Conceptually, that is kind of indicating this Christian doctrine of what's called inspiration. And that's just a word Christian theologians like to use to describe God's active presence in the compilation of the Bible. 
But the NIV, which is the, what the, the, the version we have up here, gets that word literally right. God breathed. That's the word Paul uses here. So Paul actually combines two Greek words. The word for God, theos, and the word for breathing or blowing on something, pneo. So this word, theopneistos, only shows up once in the New Testament. And it's actually probably a word that Paul maybe coined. He actually kind of created it. What he's saying is that scripture is literally breathed out by God. Okay, God's spirit has, has, has made this thing which sits in front of us through uh, the work that the spirit did in the hearts and minds of the many authors who put it together over many, many, many years, including Paul himself, actually, we, we, we believe. Um, in some ways, it looks like a very human process, right? Using people's identities and personalities and dispositions and the situations that they were going through to write this material, but one that God was in the midst of kind of uh, using those things to produce something, the book that he wants us to have. And so because of that, God's spirit produces this life behind the words that today can still edify us, it can still help us to grow, give us God's comfort and hope as we read it, to lead us to Jesus. All these different things that we've been discussing throughout this series, scripture helps us uh, to do so that, like Paul says in verse 17, we might be equipped for God's work. We might be equipped to go out and do what God calls us to do. When used in the way that God intends, right, which is unfortunately not always a given, and we can find lots of examples of that, but, but when used in the way that God intends, Paul says that Scripture does four things for us when the Spirit hovering in the words of Scripture connects to the Spirit hovering in our hearts. And those things are teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training. Now think about it. These are all things that living organisms do, right? Like, I think of, like, a coach when I, when I read this stuff. This is the kind of stuff coaches do, right? Something that you're actually interacting with that is real and alive. And I think that's, not, that's intentional by Paul um, to describe that the Holy Spirit uses the scriptures like this for us. And so if the Bible is doing this, I want to talk about kind of th- three different things. Take these four th- uh, ideas and kind of put them into three different things that are happening to us as we are, are engaging with Scripture. The first is that we're learning. The second is that we're having our hearts exposed. Um, and, and last is that we're being straightened out. Okay, so these, I think, three things are taking place when we really actively engage with Scripture through the work of the Spirit in us. Okay, so let's talk about learning first. In order to do anything, you have to have learned at least something before that, right? Even really, really basic stuff. So think about how you got here today, right? You, you got up this morning, you tied your shoes, you hopped in a car, you rode a bike, or maybe you walked, right? But those were all things you had to learn at some point. Now, you probably put no conscious thought into any of those things. But at some point in your life, you needed to learn those, right? You needed to understand those things. And... and it's not like those things were necessarily easy. I remember as a kid, tying your shoes was like kid trigonometry. I remember just thinking, like, I feel like I have really stepped up a threshold when I can learn how to tie. It seems so difficult to me as a kid. Maybe, I, maybe that's just me, but uh, tying your shoes I, was, was a big deal at one point. But now you take it totally for granted because it's been added to your knowledge base. It's something you can, you can take and use and sort of apply in the different situations you find yourselves in. Right? You could think of it in more complex settings too, okay? So pretend you're Zach Doman. You're our resident rocket scientist here at the church, right? And you're Zach, you go to work, you design a rocket part today, ho-hum, no big deal, right? Just a normal Tuesday for, for someone like Zach. But 
it's no big deal because Zach had to spend all this time in college learning all sorts of very complex stuff that he can now take and apply in all the different type of situations that he, you know, is being asked to use those things, right? He's drawing on this knowledge base of what he's learned in different parts of his past. Scripture teaches us so that we can go into the world and we can draw on the right base of knowledge that we can pull out and we can use to apply in everyday situations so that, uh, that, that is in harmony with God's wisdom and will that is Christ-shaped, that is gospel-shaped. We have to learn that first, and Scripture is the main place that we do that. And as we grow, we continue to grow, we will add to that knowledge, we will nuance that knowledge, we'll go deeper in that knowledge as we you know, learn and, and grow and continue to find ourselves applying that in all sorts of, all the different situations that we find ourselves in our lives, right? And so I would encourage you, as you read the Bible, like, think about ways to, to memorize it better. Think, you know, there's like, you can Google this, like, brain hacks to help yourself remember stuff better, because I really think Scripture is the language that the Spirit uses to guide us in the present, by reminding us of what we learned so that we can say, you know, I, I, this is, you know, this concept, this story, this thing that this writer in the Bible said, this is the right thing for me to take and apply in this situation I'm in right now. Okay, I think it's so important for us to build that up um, uh, so that we're not making stuff up as we go, but we're in tune with God's spirit, which he's put into the scriptures. Okay, now, just knowing stuff, though, isn't sufficient in and of itself, right? We need to, to go further than just knowing things. And that's where I think the rest of this stuff comes in, okay? So let's talk about exposing, right? The inspired living word of God shines a flashlight on things inside of us that we maybe, wouldn't, maybe we know is there and we don't really want to admit it or on stuff we didn't realize was there. As we read through it, that's going to happen, Right? Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet uh, in the Old Testament, he comments that the human heart is deceitful, and we're not really that great at sorting our own hearts out. If we're open to it, God is going to expose our hearts and our motivations through Scripture. So, you know, sometimes plainly, right? Um, you know, Jesus says, you know, you should love your enemy, and you just got done thinking about how much you hate this person, right? And you think, okay, maybe I shouldn't hate them. Maybe I should actually figure out how to show them love in some way. Right? Maybe it comes through deep thought and prayer and meditation. Maybe it comes through talking with other people, right? Uh, other people following Jesus, and the Spirit is working through that. I actually think sometimes even in our offense to things that we read in Scripture, God exposes things in our hearts, right? When we get offended, we can ask ourselves, like, why does this make me uncomfortable to read this thing? Does that say, you know, something about God, or is that maybe saying something about me? Right? Let me give an example. Right? There are lots of texts, and people kind of struggle with this when they read the Bible, uh, where people do some, you know, pretty awful stuff, right? That's actually pretty common in the Bible, right? Think of the book of Judges. That's a really good example. I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Judges, but it is just, it is, a, it is not an easy read, right? It is, it is uh, it was HBO programming before it was cool, okay? I don't know, the, apparently the big show on HBO now is a zombie show. There are no zombies in the book of Judges, but just about everything else, right? There is sex and murder and super shady characters and, and civil war, just all kinds of really terrible stuff. Now, we might ask ourselves, why would these stories be in the Bible? Like, what purpose are these stories serving in the Bible, right? This is stuff I don't like. It's stuff I don't believe in, and right, it might even make us think, since it's in the Bible, right, th this, you know, I shouldn't be spending my time reading this, because it, it, it kind of offends me to think about this kind of stuff, right? 
Well, here's something about Scripture. Just because something is in Scripture doesn't mean it's being endorsed. In fact, actually, a lot of times, that's not the case, right? Have you considered that maybe you're supposed to be offended when you read all these stories, right? You are supposed to be offended by the idea that even God's people can act pretty horribly sometimes, right? And we get offended by all the fact that ultimately, you know, we might be more like those people than we care to admit, right? And, and so we need, to, we need to be offended to think about what it looks like for us to not end up in that place, right? To actually follow after God, to avoid their mistakes, right? And to, to always remember, you know, no matter how pure we think we are, we could always end up in a place like this. So scripture exposes our sin or faulty views of God that are in us, but it doesn't leave us in a place of guilt or shame over it, right? Because as we read these stories, God doesn't strike these people down, uh, he, you know, and, and by doing that, he's not co-signing on their offensive action. It's actually a sign of his mercy, right? And so what we're reading is a story of the gospel of Jesus, of his forgiveness being played out over and over again, even with people who kind of suck, right? And as we read that, as we learn that, we can apply that to ourselves too, to be comforted by that. So scripture, scripture tells us that story of God's forgiveness of grace, but it goes further than, than just doing that in terms of straightening us out, right? So that's the last thing I want to talk about here. When we talk about correcting, that thing Paul says, correcting is about straightening us out, putting, is what, putting what is correct in front of us so that we can emulate it and we can know what to aim for, right? If you're trying to paint a portrait of somebody, you've got to have a picture of them in front of you, right? You have to know what you're trying to paint, and Scripture shows us what it is we ought to be emulating, right? While scripture, it does expose the dark parts of our, of our human nature, of our sin, it also puts in front of us what we ought to be emulating and seeking out, right? It puts in front of us what God is designing to turn us into through his spirit. People formed by grace into the image of Jesus. Okay, that's what scripture is putting out for us so that we might follow after that. Now, for that to happen, we need to come to scripture uh, with a posture that allows us to be corrected and straightened out, an open-handed and humble mindset, okay? Right? You hear this a lot of days, right? A lot of times nowadays, like, I'm choosing to focus on myself right now, okay? That's, that, I think that's good advice when we read scripture. Choose to focus on yourself as you read it. I don't know if you've ever read a Bible passage and the first thought you had was, oh my gosh, this person really needs to read this. Right? Your, your mind just jumps to someone who just made you angry lately, or maybe it's, it's a straw man of a, some, some person who lives in, I don't know, some other part of the world or country, and you're just like, this person needs to read this passage. Right? It's really easy, I think, for us to do that, to read something and think about how badly someone else needs to read it or how much it needs to be applied to them. Now, when we find ourselves doing that, especially regu- regularly, I think we quit being in a posture of allowing ourselves to be corrected. Hey, and we are taking on the role of corrector, but ultimately, that's the job of the Spirit. That's not our job. There's this story in 2 Samuel 12 about King David and, and a prophet named Nathan. All right? and, and, and so Nathan comes uh, to David, as, as prophets often do, and he tells him this story. It's about a rich guy and a poor guy who are living in the same city. And, and the rich man has this giant flock of sheep as rich people did back then. Um, and the poor guy had just the one sheep. It was all, all he really had to his name. So a, a friend of the rich man's comes to town, and this guy decides, I'm going to 
you know, we're going to have some really delicious kebabs and gyros to, you know, tonight. We're, I'm going to get s- some lamb, and we're going to create a big meal for this friend of mine who's coming to town. But instead of taking from his own flock, he goes and steals the sheep of the poor guy. Right? So, so Nathan tells David this story. And David, as king, is kind of in charge of justice in the nation of Israel. So he thinks he's getting a word uh, of God for someone else. And he gets all worked up about it. He gets all angry. And he's like, we're going to bring this dude in, and we're going to dispense some righteous justice on him. Okay? God's word means someone is going to get his. That's what, that's what David is thinking right here. And he's, he's ready to roll. And you can just sense that he feels good about himself. He's going to go do something good and, and dispense some justice on someone who really needs it. And Nathan, seems like he's kind of waiting for, for David to do this. He kind of whips it around on David. And he says, oh, you think this is about someone else. This is a story about you, dude. Okay? He's referring to some really awful stuff that David had done earlier involving David kind of basically essentially stealing some guy's wife from him. Um, but apparently David slept fine at night after doing it. All right? And, and, and Nathan is saying, dude, you can't just be thinking of all the bad stuff everyone else is doing. You've got to start with yourself. Okay? I think this story reveals our tendency to hear someone else's issue in some text of Scripture instead of starting with ourselves and asking, hey, what does this say about me? How can I grow from this? You know, how is this a challenge to me? How, I can let God worry about other people. I need to start with myself, okay? Don't be David. Start with yourself. You can be like David in other ways. There's a lot of other good stories about David. But in this instance, don't be like David, okay? Start with yourself in God's word. I think this posture trains us to be humble and wise. And sometimes, yes, we do need to pass along a, a word, you know, to someone else, right? We talked about prophecy a few weeks ago, right? There is a role for that. I'm not saying you can never pass along something to someone to try to help them to grow. But I think even then, we need to be doing that humbly, okay? I think that's the wisdom that reading scripture gives us. If we don't start with ourselves, we just start to see the Bible as a hammer and everyone else as a nail. And we become arrogant judges, instead of the humble healers that I think Scripture, through God's Spirit, wants to turn us into. Okay, so that's the ways in which God's Spirit uh, works in us to kind of equip us for, for God's work, like, we talk, like Paul talks about. I want to transition here a little bit to an aid, I think, that God gives us to help us to grow in our being soaked by Scripture, okay? And that's this, uh, that's this, uh, this spiritual gift or manifestation of teaching. Now, uh, w- we talked about this last week. We kind of did a, just a, a long kind of, you know, working through a bunch of these different gifts or manifestations of the Spirit that, God, that Paul talks about, that God gives um, onto his people to sort of help us all be edified, to help this body to grow and to be used in love. And, and I, I didn't talk about teaching last week because I knew today we'd be getting in, into it a little bit, okay? So we're going to kind of dive into how teachers uh, and teaching, this gift that the Spirit, you know, gives uh, uh, to some in the body to, can help us all to grow as we draw out um, Scripture, right? I think teachers are those who, who the Spirit fills to draw out the learning, the rebuking, the correcting, and the training of Scripture that Paul talks about to make us aware of this life behind the words, to see where uh, God's spirit is moving throughout the text as we read it. All right, so let me, 
I, you know, I thought, I was like, man, how do I, <laughs> where do I start with this? I think what I want to do today is just talk a little bit about some of our uh, philosophy in teaching and our goals here at Rest City. Kind of the, how we think about, like, you know, how we want to, you know, think about teaching and drawing out, um, you know, God's spirit through scripture today. I feel like that's kind of the, the easiest way. So we won't get into everything maybe, but some big points that I think are really important. All right, so I'm going to talk, let's talk about a couple ways that teachers draw out the teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training uh, of scripture. Okay, so first of all, I think teachers help us to know how to read our Bible. Okay, teachers help us to know how to read our Bible. A good teacher, I think, helps you to learn how to think about what you read so that what you read, you can then apply yourself to go live and grow and follow the Spirit, right? I think a good teacher helps you to take the small pieces of what you read and sort of organize them into a, co- a coherent whole to equip you for good work. Paul says in, in, in 2 Timothy 3.17. I do think sometimes you find teachers who, who want, uh, you know, to just tell you what to do, right? Kind of say, like, here's what you all got to do. Here's five steps to go do this or that, right? Or you have to vote for this person or whatever. Like, you know, it could be a lot of different things. I personally think that that's unhelpful to people. I think that's, uh, you know, some of the most hurtful teaching out there a lot of times, I would actually say, is someone trying to squeeze people into some shape, some idea of what the teacher thinks everyone needs to look like by just telling them what to do. I actually think that's unhelpful because it doesn't help you to grow, okay? As if there's some big, you know, test that we all have to pass someday, and, you know, our job is to just know all the right answers to the test. That's actually not really the vision for a mature disciple of Jesus that we find in Scripture and we find Jesus, I think, calling us to, right? Think back to, you know, high school or college, right? A good teacher isn't going to just help you to learn the answers to one test one day, right? That's, that's not their, their goal. A good teacher is going to help you to master the subject, and to have joy, to continue to learn the concepts so that you know what, how to think, how to apply different life situations, and you can use that as you get out in other places, right? We talked about Zach earlier. It wouldn't have done him much good to have a teacher who just says, here's how you pass, you know, this test. But actually how to master this subject so that he can go out and apply that in a wise and mature way into whatever setting he finds himself in when he's in his career. At Res City, Okay, we, it's, it's really important to us that we are not just telling you what to do. Okay, this is very foundational to us. We want our preaching and teaching to teach you to think in a Christ-like way. Okay, that's really important to us at Red City. Paul implores in, in, in the Romans, in, in Romans 12, 1 to 2, to be renewed and transformed in your mind. That's, his, that's what he's asking them to do. Okay, I want our teaching to help you to do that, to help your minds be renewed and transformed, to look more and more like the mind of Christ so that you can, you can follow Jesus in whatever situation that you find yourselves in. Right? I think that's what maturity looks like, right? That's the goal we should have is a maturing faith, right? Where we're not necessarily using teachers who tell us what to do as a crutch, okay? Because it's your faith, right? It's not my faith that you're living out, right? It's not Julie's or any other teacher here at Res City, right? I can't live your faith out for you by just telling you what to do, okay? It doesn't work that way, okay? I can, uh, my goal is to try to teach you to think so that you can live out your faith 
in whatever situation you find yourselves in, to know what Jesus and the Spirit is calling to you to in your day-to-day lives, right? I'm not trying to prepare you for some cosmic test and help you to memorize the answers. I want to equip you to become wise, mature, Christ-like followers, to be equipped for good works, to give you joy, to grow in your faith, and to become, honestly, people I can learn from, right? I, I love that. When, when I can, you know, I, I spend time with you in our community groups, in, in getting together one-on-one, and you know, we have other settings where, where other people teach, you know, whether it's from stage or just in seminars or whatever we do. I love learning from all of you. I love to see you have a rich and mature faith to be able to teach me, to help other teachers here at Red City to grow themselves. I think it's so valuable and cool to see that in a church community, and it's my goal to see that happening. All right, now, th- at the same time, Maturity also means humility and always learning, right? So I don't want you to think that, like, we can ever outgrow good teachers either, right? Maturity is us admitting that we can't ever just do it by ourselves, right? That would be swinging the pendulum, I think, the opposite way, right? There's a reason the Spirit works through teachers, right, for your good to build you up. So I don't, I don't want you to ever think you grow beyond it, but I do want you to, to want to grow, to think Christ-like, to be trained to know how to read the Bible for yourself. Okay? We talk about a last thing that I think teachers do here, uh, the goal of what teaching is supposed to be. All right? So in 2 Timothy, um, Paul says in verse 15, this is a little bit earlier from the passage we read earlier, um, he wants Timothy to carve out a straight path for the truth. So teachers are supposed to keep us focused on what matters when we read scripture, which is Jesus. All right? Now, this phrase here, carve out a straight path for the path for the truth, the Greek word that, that Paul is using here, he wants him to orthomateo the truth, all right? I don't expect you to know what that means, but let me tell you what it does. Um, literally, this means to guide along a straight path, okay? Now, you can think of it like, I think, like clearing a path through the forest, right? Where you're moving branches and other things that might be laying in the middle of the trail out of the way for people so they can move uh, easily along it to get to the destination of what the trail is supposed to be right? You've walked trails before, right? You, you, you've seen, um, you know, sometimes like if you're walking through the woods, right? You've seen that someone went before you to move, tr- you know, trees and stuff out of the way or walked this path before you so that there are no barriers for you to kind of stop you from getting where you're going to. I think a good teacher is someone who has removed things out of the way so that those who are learning can find their way to get to Jesus ultimately, Right? A good teacher gets the foliage and all the other stuff that can build al- up along the path out of the way. Right? Stuff that just maybe builds up as we go about our daily life, as we talk to others, as we you know, hear things, you know, other people preaching you know, sermons to us, like, n- not necessarily sermons like this, but just kind of the sermons we hear around us on our day-to-day lives being preached to us in different ways. Um, and as our unchecked desires oftentimes can overgrow and get in the way of us walking down the path so that we can walk towards what matters. And for Paul, in just a few verses before this, he says, for him what matters is Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Okay? A good teacher is going to lead you to Jesus. And it's our goal at Res City to carve a straight path to the truth of Jesus in our teaching. Okay? That's why we talk about Jesus so much. It's, 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 it's our guarantee to you all that we will always do whatever we can to lead you to him, to his grace, to his mercy, to his love, to his forgiveness, his comfort, his healing, to his radical challenge for us to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves and to follow after him, to his world-altering death and resurrection. 
Because I think ultimately, as we kind of talk about someone who is uh, walking by the Spirit of God, that is someone who is soaked in Jesus. And Scripture is going to help us do that. Okay, but only if we're reading it in the way that I think the Spirit intends us to. And so teachers can really help us to do that. Okay, so let me close here before we go into that, that question and response time. Why does all this matter? I kind of want to draw to a close, not just today's sermon, but everything we've been talking about in this series is I think it matters for us to be praying for the Spirit to fill us afresh. All right? Um, this series has been kind of brewing in me for, for a few years now, honestly, like kind of thinking about the need for, for me personally, and I think for all of God's people to be seeking out God's Spirit and asking Him to move in fresh and creative and life-giving ways. Because I don't know about you, but I mean, I feel like, I feel like the church and the people of God, and really the whole world could sure use that, right? So we have got to be people who are asking for it. Um, there's, a, there's a pastor, he's not a pastor anymore, I guess, a guy out in uh, New York named Tim Keller, who is a teacher I've actually benefited a lot from. He talks about different seasons that the church can go through, kind of like, you know, seasons in, a, in the calendar, like, you know, uh, uh, summer, spring, um, fall, winter. That's not the order the seasons go, I know. Um, all right, and he kind of talks about how, like, you, you know, we can find ourselves in different, you know, the church goes through different um, seasons in terms of how culture reacts to them. And, you know, I felt like for a lot of my life, we were in fall, and probably around, somewhere around 2016, the church entered a kind of winter, right? Now, we get winter here. I mean, like, hardly anybody else in the world gets winter like we do here in Minnesota. Like, things don't grow. You got to huddle, hunker down right? You got to huddle up and try to find a way to stay warm because it just, there's not natural warmth. Things aren't moving in the way that we would like to. And I think it kind of feels like that sometimes in the church. Maybe you feel like that, you know, in your faith. Maybe you feel that for the church in a wider sense. We're just kind of trapped in winter. We're kind of stuck under the ice in a lot of ways. I think that what we need is God's spirit to move, to sustain us as we're in that season and also to give us the hope of spring. Give us the hope that new life can truly flourish and grow. And I want us as a church to be seeking that out in our own hearts and in Res City and in the church, you know, all around us. That's what I want us to be praying for. I want us to be people who, like Krista talked about in her sermon a few weeks ago, who we pray audaciously. We expect God's spirit to move when we cry out and we ask him to. I want us to believe that God does that through his spirit, to believe that the life that filled Adam and has filled Jesus and all these other people we read about in scripture has filled the church at different points throughout history is, can fill us too as we cry out to God and ask him to do it. So that's my, my hope for you as we close this series is that we would be people who are crying out to God and asking him to do that. All right, let's do some question and response, and then we'll close in prayer with some worship and communion. So, Julie, do we, we have any questions? Yeah. Oh, my, is my mic on? Can you hear me? Yeah, there Sorry. we go. Um, so, and if anyone still wants to submit questions, you can go to resdaychurch.org. Mm -hmm. You can even submit, I mean, even after the sermon's done, if something comes up, and we will try to hit up on that in that podcast. Yeah. Um, so, you talked about being offended by Scripture sometimes. So, mm -hmm. um, what... What do you do when you find yourself reading mm -hmm. something that you disagree with or are offended by? Like, mm -hmm. what? How do you not get stuck there? That's yeah, kind of the that's a really good question. And I think, I think that this is an important one because, like, there is a lot of stuff in there that can trip us up. I do think that's that's true. It's good to remember 
that this is written in a different world, right? And it's written in, a, in like the real world. I think we want to live in a world that's very black and white, right? Where there's the good guys and the bad guys. There's pure and impure. That's not really the way the world works. And I think scripture is written in a world that is like that, right? The only, you know, the, you know, the only person who is the real good guy in scripture is actually Jesus himself, right? And so we're going to be dealing with shades of gray throughout scripture. And I think it's good to just remind ourselves of that, first of all. And I do think this is where, I thought about talking about this in the sermon. I cut it just for time. But I think that's another way that teachers can really help us is because they create touch points between the past and, the, and, and, and the, the present, right? They help us to sort of understand historical context. Sometimes things that we're getting tripped up on are historical contexts, right? And kind of just understanding the world in which this is taking place in, right? It is a world that is filled with gray. And I think what we find throughout scripture is God is a very incarnational God, right? Uh, coming to us in the form of Jesus is an act of sort of getting onto our level, right? Becoming a human, engaging in human life with us is something that, you know, people, we, we like to use the word incarnational to describe. I think God is very incarnational with us. He's very patient with us to guide us slowly to the truth of Jesus. And I do think we find that a lot of times in scripture. God shows a sort of uh, patience and grace for people who really don't, who just don't get it a lot of times, right? Who are kind of slow to understand um, what it looks like uh, to, to follow after Jesus kind of fully. We're all like that, right? We are all going to have a lot of ups and downs and have a lot of gray in our own following Jesus. And that's sort of what we find when we open up scripture is that's what the people are like. And God still shows grace and mercy to them anyway. Um, I do think, you know, in other ways when we find ourselves offended, um, I think it's okay to bring that to God. I think, you know, when we find something we're offended by, we can sort of just shut the book and, you know, be done with it, I think it'd be better to, to bring that to God in prayer, to kind of say, hey, Lord, I feel confused or offended or like I don't understand this. I'm asking you to help me to understand this better, right? I want to start with a posture believing that this is something your spirit breathed out, that this is actually, it is true. It comes from you. Help me to understand what that looks like because I'm struggling right now. And I do think uh, that, you know, that God will help you to do that. Whether it's, you know, bringing you to a, a teacher that can kind of help make some sense of it in some way or uh, giving you some peace with it, right? Like, uh, again, uh, Scripture is going to challenge us. Like, if we're not willing to be challenged by Scripture, we're not going to grow, right? Like, uh, if lifting weights, right? If you're not willing to be challenged and actually, like, sweat a little bit or actually, you know, get a little pain in your muscles by lifting something that's actually pretty heavy for you, you're not ever going to grow. And so I think we have to be willing to be challenged by Scripture sometimes because if we aren't, we're never going to grow. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of a, <laughs> a big picture answer to, you know, what I imagine pr probably the, the question asker has some specific stuff in mind. And, and, and I don't know how, you know, well I'm getting to that. Um, but I would encourage you to start there um, with it. Yeah. Um, you talked about scripture being God-breathed. Mm -hmm. um, how does that square with the, uh, how the Bible was put together with human people mm -hmm. kind of yeah. deciding what books should be a part of it and what shouldn't? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, just to say, okay, the Da Vinci Code is not history, okay? So if you think that's how it came together, that is not there is th that is not historical whatsoever. We don't actually know what the process looked like 
for people putting scripture together, right? It's a very mysterious thing to us. It doesn't really seem like there was ever any real major debate among the early church about what passages were going to go together, but a lot of that's obscured uh, to us from history. So in terms of like what their criteria was, it's hard to know exactly. It just seems like there was a lot of consensus in the early church that like, these are, the, these are the letters, these are the books that we really think the scripture was, or sorry, the spirit was working through, and like we kind of all just kind of, we get that, you know? So, um, yeah, anyway, just, just wanted to, to speak to that. Um, I think we have this sort of like, you know, boy, I'm trying to think how far down the rabbit hole do you guys want to go? Um, I'll just say this maybe. We have this sort of like view, I think, in our modern world that you have like spirit and the physical world. And they're two worlds that don't overlap, right? There's this big gap between them. And, you know, like, so for something to be quote-unquote spiritual, there can't be any sort of sign of something taking place in the physical world. Uh, I hope you're following me here. That's a dichotomy we've created in the modern world, that it does not exist in, in, the, in the world of the Bible. For them, God is constantly moving in the physical things, right? For them, they would look and say, you know, the rains fall at God's command. That's what the Psalms say, things like that, right? Well, we know how rain falls. Like, we can, we can study that and explain all the natural processes that gets to the point where rain is falling, but Scripture is, it's, you know, and the, the view of the writers of the Bible is that God is in the midst of that. He is, he's the one who created the world. He's the one who created human minds and brains, right? He, he knows how this stuff works, and it, I don't think at all it's a, it's a contradiction to say God was working in the hearts of these people, right, in their real true experiences, in their actual thinking about what's going on around them, in their seeking out of God, to, to use those things to produce the book that he wants to create. Now, that's messy, and maybe that creates a little bit of, of doubt or fear or questioning in us about how that could happen, but I would actually say that's more on us, I think, than on the Bible. I think we're imposing something on Scripture that the, the Scripture writers and the people who put it together and the ancient Christians who read it were not worried about. They believed God was in the midst of everything. They believed God's Spirit moved in, in, in creation to kind of affect God's will. And so they don't have any issues with that. So anyway, um, again, I hope I'm getting to your, to your question. I would just say, b- believe that it could be more complex than that, right? Believe that God is big enough to work through his creation, his people, to produce what he wants to come about. And, and if you're open to that, I think, you know, some of these questions about how the Bible came together through what seem, in a lot of ways, very human ways, uh, quit becoming stumbling blocks for us in the same way, at least. So, yeah. Okay, great. Thank you, guys. Great questions, as always. Um, I appreciate them. I love, I actually love Q&R. Um, I could go for a really long time with it. And so it's good we, that Julie cuts me off um, on Sundays when we do this. So let's get into some time of, of worship and prayer here. Um, I'm going to pray for us here in just a second, but when, after I do, we're going to be taking communion. Um, I should think, I talked about how, I mentioned communion earlier as a way that I think we walk in discipleship uh, of following after Jesus. I think taking communion every single week is one of those steps that we take on a regular basis to uh, lead us, again, just in, our, in every little day towards Jesus in some way right? A reminder of, of what Jesus did for us. His body was broken, his blood was shed on our behalf so that we would be people who could be made into his image, who could have the hope of salvation, the hope of resurrection like he had one day. 
um, when we take communion, we're reminding ourselves of that. We're filling ourselves with hope at what Jesus has done for us. All right, and so I would, I would love for you all to take communion, even if you're just visiting us this Sunday. All we would ask is that you call yourself a follower of Jesus. Um, it'll just be up here in the front, and you can take it during our time of worship. Uh, let me pray here, and then we'll head into that time. God, we thank you that you're a speaking God. As we've been talking about in this series, you're not a God who's left us alone, but you're a God who moves and speaks to us through your Spirit. Lord, you spoke in times past to the people who wrote scripture now, but you still continue to speak to us through that book, which has this relevance to us today um, that speaks into every heart and mind and culture and situation, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us um, through your word. Um, This Sunday, every single Sunday we come together as a church, I pray a blessing on people as they study God's word in community groups and on their own, Lord. Just help us to hear your voice. Without it, we are people who starve. We, we get stuck in winter, God. We need you to speak to us. And Lord, we thank you that you do through your son, Jesus, and through your word. We pray all this in his name. Amen.